I bring you greetings from Cambridge, from uh, Cambridge, England, the church where we pastor. And Carol and I work very closely with Alan and Betty Scotland, who some of you may know uh, and others may have heard of. And together with a few other brothers, we lead a core team of ministries, an apostolic team that serves churches all over the United Kingdom, uh, moving now into uh, Europe and here in the United States. And we have great partnerships with churches in uh, South America, in Southern Africa, in India and China. And if I had more time, I would tell you a bit about that. But I've been involved in different meetings over the last 10 days. Some of you have been in those meetings where I've said a little bit about those things. And if you want to know a bit more, then do come up and see me afterwards. I just want you to know that I am totally, totally comfortable with what's happened today. I do not feel at all bent out of shape because I'm not going to get to the message that I had prepared. Because you know what? I believe that we followed the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I I actually endorse everything that's gone on. And I said to Johnny just a few moments ago, um, knowing the time that we were supposed to close the meeting and what I had prepared, not just the length, not just the length. I, I'd, I'd been instructed this was a series on suffering and could I fit into that? And I thought I had something that would fit very nicely into it. And as I'm sitting there, my heart sinking into my boots because I'm thinking, this is not going to fit at all with what God's doing this morning. And I, get, I got less and less convinced that this was the message. And then I became convinced it wasn't the message so halfway through the ministry time, I started praying, Lord, what will be the message? Because I haven't prepared. And I felt the Lord put a few things on my heart, and I'm just going to condense it into 10 minutes. But I don't want you to think that this is 10 minutes of lightweight waffle. This is just the core of what I have taught for a week. All right? So this is material that I have taught for a week. There's a lot of weight here. I'm going to give you 10 minutes just some of the core points. So this is really condensed. You know, you have these um, special rations when you're in the military and you're going out without access to kitchens and you have these little tablets or something. And it's, it's the absolute con- con- uh, condensing down to the bare minimum of all you need to survive, all the vitamins, all the proteins, and it looks like a little thing and you pour, maybe put some water in it and it comes the soup and that's it. And it isn't a six-course meal, but it's everything you're going to need. So this is 10 minutes on everything you're going to need on this subject. Would you go with me, please, to John chapter 14? The Gospel of John chapter 14. And this is, um, I believe, a message that is more than just what I've said, which is a sort of condensing down of something I had on my heart and have taught elsewhere, but I believe it's the prophetic word of God to you as a church. So please doubly prick up your ears. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that in these few moments, your Holy Spirit would take the words of Jesus as recorded for us in the Gospel of John. I pray that he would take those words and impact them deeply into our spirits because he is the same spirit who inspired John to record them as who is here today as we're listening to them again. And I pray, Lord, that there would be a mighty impartation by the Spirit of God into our spirits that will cause us to go through those doors in a few moments as change people a little bit more like you than we were when we came in. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Jesus is in the last few hours of his time with the disciples. This famous section of John, John 13 through 17, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, five chapters, almost a quarter of John's gospel about one night Jesus had with the disciples. Almost a quarter of John's entire gospel is focused on just one night that Jesus had with his disciples. A very, very important night for sure because he's just going to the cross in a few hours. This is after three, three and a half years that Jesus had been walking with the disciples, teaching the disciples, explaining the ways of God and the the good news of the kingdom to them. And for sure, he in these last few hours wants to focus their attention on the absolute core of the core of the core that he's been talking to them about for three, three and a half years. And that's why John gives almost a quarter of his entire gospel to these conversations between Jesus and the disciples. Now, in chapter 13, we have the famous story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And then in 14, he carries on with his teaching, and he says this. He brings a word of comfort to them, and he says this, quote, in John 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. That's the word of God to you as a church. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I'm going to continue from that key verse to go a little bit later on into John's uh, gospel, as we call it, chapter 14. And in verse 16... Jesus kind of picks up this thread. There's a lot of stuff in between it, but he explains why they can be confident to trust in him. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And in verse 16, he says why they can have that confident trust in him because I will ask the Father, says Jesus, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he, li- he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says they can trust in him because he is going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit He says another counselor. There are different ways to translate the Greek word. Counselor is one of them. The Greek word is parakletos. The best translation is probably advocate. And in those times, in the Greek world, in a court of law, you would have the advocate for the defense who was called the parakletos, and the the advocate for the prosecution was actually called diabolos which is translated in our Bibles as the devil. And that's, that's a wonderful picture of, of the court scene. The devil is there trying to accuse us as the accuser of the brethren. In the book of Revelation, where it talks about the accuser of the brethren, the Greek word there is diabolos, the prosecutor. He's prosecuting us. But Jesus is the advocate before the Father. And Jesus is the Son of God. And the devil's just a jumped up little 
created being called an angel who got too uppity and fell from heaven. So who do you think is going to win the argument? Some of you look a little bit puzzled. Okay. Who do you think is going to win the argument? The son of God or this jumped up uppity little devil? The son of God. So it's a no-brainer. It's a no-contest. So we do not need to have this idea of a kind of mighty titanic struggle going on in heaven. Who's going to win this argument? Is it going to be the devil who's accusing us before God? Or Jesus who's you know, still weak from the cross trying to stagger up to the task of, 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 of speaking on our behalf? No way is this even a contest. I mean, I almost feel, I don't feel, but I almost feel sorry for the devil. Because he's totally licked. He's beaten, he's finished. Paul, the apostle in Colossians says he's triumphed. Jesus has triumphed over him and made a complete, you know, smash to pieces everything he stands for. He has no chance whatsoever. That's why we can trust in Jesus. But he says he's going to send another one. And he uses this, again, this Greek word for another is very important. You won't find it coming out in the English translations, but there are two words in Greek for another. One means another that's dissimilar, and the word used here in Greek is one that's exactly like this one. So if I said to you, I'm now driving around in a borrowed Dodge Malibu, and I'm very grateful for it, and I'm going to give the person who gave it to me another one, if I use one Greek word, heteros, it means it's, it's, not, it's dissimilar. It means another car, but it'll be something different. But if I say I am going to give you another one using the Greek word alos, it means another Dodge um, Malibu of exactly the same make and model and year and, and engine size and color. It's identical to the one I've just been given. And Jesus says here, I am going to give you another advocate who's exactly like me. And so some people think, you know, if only we could have been around at the time of Jesus, it would have been so wonderful to see Jesus in action. Well, I don't think like that. I think it's even more wonderful to be alive now because Jesus is here by the Holy Spirit. We have one who is exactly like him, which is why Jesus said, when I go, I will go to the Father, I'll send the Spirit, and you will do even greater works than I do. You'll do the things that I do, even greater works. How can we do greater works than Jesus? Because they're being worked all over the world. One of the beautiful privileges we have uh, when we visit all these different places around the world is to see the family of God worshipping God Almighty, calling out his name, seeing people come to know him, delivering people from demons, setting them free, seeing healing of bodies, marriages come together, people come out of prostitution, drug abuse, all over the world. The church of Jesus Christ has actually never been more successful than it is today. Now, I don't say that with any hint of triumphalism. That's not my point at all. Many of these dear, dear brothers and sisters are being brutally persecuted and they're, they're losing their lives. So it isn't with any kind of rah, rah, rah triumphalism I say that, but I'm saying the gospel is penetrating societies all over the world and it is true that out of every tribe and tongue and nation there will be worshippers of God because we have one who is just like Jesus with us. This echoes what Jesus said 
in John chapter 7 on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. In verse 37 of chapter 7, he said, this is obviously a little while before what we've just been reading, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, which is a huge clue that he wanted to communicate something to people. He stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone, how many people does that include? If anyone, in Includes everyone, doesn't it? Okay, so there isn't anybody who's left out. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you're thirsty as a Christian, Jesus says, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That's what Jesus said, end of quotation. John, in his editorial comment, in verse 39, when he's putting this gospel together, says, By this Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So John, obviously writing after the event, is recording what Jesus said during his three years of ministry, John is in the room here, hearing what Jesus is saying about promising to send one just like him. John is there on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit falls and everything is transformed. And some years later, after many years of successful ministry, John puts all this together. And of course, he's putting this little editorial comment in about Jesus' proclamation on the Feast of Tabernacles because he's saying this is what Jesus meant. Well... I'm going to draw to a close with just a couple of thoughts here. The crucial difference between the people of God before the day of Pentecost and after the day of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit after Pentecost permanently indwells every believer. From the very beginning of the revelation God's given us in the book of Genesis, we see the Holy Spirit being an active agent in the affairs of humankind. In Genesis 1, he's even involved in creation. He's involved in Genesis 6 with remonstrating against those who are rebelling with God, against God. He empowers the prophets. He empowers the judges. He enables people to do extraordinary things. But... Only after Pentecost does he permanently indwell every single believer. And so now we live with, if you will, a new paradigm. Jesus Christ, by the Spirit, is in us. So when Jesus said to the disciples, as he's going to the cross, this word of these words of comfort, do not let your hearts be troubled. I believe they still speak today to Mercy Hill. And as, let's use your church name, as a group of Christians gathered on a hill, which is speaking of prominence, with a message of mercy, 
you can say to the people of Highland and beyond, with Jesus, don't let your hearts be troubled. And it's not because you're such a wonderful church or so puffed up and you've got all the answers, because none of us can say that. But it's because we've got such a wonderful God who is so gracious and loving and kind and we have the Holy Spirit here because Jesus has sent him that we can, in the power of the Spirit, say to those in Highland and beyond, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. God does not want you as an orphan. Let's pray. Father, I do want to thank you so much for the way in which you've led us this morning. Thank you that you have taken the liberty to interrupt us, uh, to cause us to adjust our schedule. Lord, we just want to say in open prayer that we want you to feel absolutely free to do that whenever you want, Lord. We will be diligent to plan but we never want to plan you out. We always want you, Father, just to be at home here because as we've been exhorted already, we've got listening ears to listen to what the Spirit is saying. Father, I pray for every single person within hearing of my voice today in this church and all they represent. I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would flood their spirits and their souls and their bodies with your peace, with your joy, with your love. And I pray, Lord, that this church will go from strength to strength, even as we're at the changing season between winter and spring and summer, and even as we're sensing things are adjusting and we're in transition, I pray, Lord, that they will transition from gathering in a pioneering mode to establishing and proclaiming. Father, I pray that they will be a city set on a hill proclaiming mercy. I pray that their voice will be heard in this city and beyond. I pray that their message will be, let not your heart be troubled, for there is a God who cares. Come to the hill of mercy and find him among us. Lord, I pray your blessing upon them and the work of their hands. In the name of Jesus, amen.